Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. How we behave in, in the organization is really what reinforces and drives the culture. And I think there's a few things sort of driving that culture of innovation, connecting hands to heads, meaning give people an opportunity to engage in, in ideation, make sure people are involved in strategy work and, and in the full process of figuring out where we're heading. A big one here, which is safe to fail. For Spotify, failure is the paradox to success. Yeah, and I guess in the same sense, we want to ideally maximize the throughput on those things that we see pan out or don't pan out. So kind of a fail fast or double down model. Hello and welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast brought to you by ELC, the engineering leadership community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. When you think about Spotify's engineering culture, one word often comes to mind, experimentation. Spotify experiments at an almost unfathomable scale. How do they do it? And how did they get there? In this episode, we're joined by three different engineering leaders from Spotify, Christian Lindwall, Pooja Dave, and Mark Gray, who are able to give us an incredibly unique and expansive perspective on both the culture, processes, and platform to experiment and innovate at massive scale. Christian is Director of Engineering, Data Insights, Experimentation, and ML Infrastructure. Pooja is Director of Engineering, Music Promotion, and Mark is a Senior Staff Engineer. And they all play important yet very different roles with the culture of experimentation and innovation. We talk about the early days of what experimentation looked like at Spotify. We talk about some of the challenges that you might face when you're scaling your testing and experimentation processes. We talk about some of the strategies to determine impactful experiments and how to prioritize those experiments when there are inevitable conflicts. We also get into what good coaching looks like when you're scaling those experiments. We even talk about capturing ideas and turning those ideas into features and creating space and cultivating the strategic thinking that can empower your teams to be more innovative and tons of other practices, all focused on this central theme of building a stronger culture of innovation and experimentation. I told you, this is expansive. And this was an incredibly fun episode because we actually got to record it live at Spotify's podcast studio in Brooklyn. It's the first time we've ever had a chance to do something like that. So I wanted to give a shout out. I'm super grateful to the Spotify team for welcoming us and making this such a fun and meaningful experience. Enjoy this conversation with Christian Linwall, Pooja Dave, and Mark Gray. Mark, Pooja, Christian, just want to say welcome to the show. Thank you three so much for joining. Happy Tuesday. Thanks for having us. Very excited to be here. Likewise, so excited. Fantastic. Well, I wanted to set up a, a little bit of background context to how we arrived here, uh, because for folks listening in, we are, we are hanging out at the Spotify's podcast studios in Brooklyn, New York. And this is a, a moment that's three years in the making and really exciting. So Christian gave me a, a tour of Spotify about three years ago and was pointing out to some of the, the really special music spaces. In the back of my head, I was like, man, Christian, we got to do a conversation together. Like, it'd be so cool to do in Spotify studios. And we're here. And Thursday is my birthday. So this Woo-hoo! sort of feels like what? a birthday present moment. <laughs> nice. Happy, um, birthday. Birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. That's thank amazing. you. Thank you. 
So that's that's the fun context. But in terms of the theme for our conversation, what brings us together today, um, we want to talk about building a culture of experimentation and innovation at massive scale. And there's some incredible things, both in terms of the technology that's been created around this, but also the team, the culture, the processes, and everything that you do to help make that happen here at Spotify. So we've got a lot of really fun things to dig into. So to begin, you all recently announced the launch of Confidence, uh, Spotify's experimentation platform. So let's start there. Can you share maybe a little bit more about what is Confidence and what does it have to do with experimentation and innovation? So starting with innovation, we, we've always had a very strong culture of innovation. And to enable that, we have had also a rapid pace of experimentation. So more concretely, you know, in order to get new features um, out there, we need to validate these with real users in a scientifically sound way. So over 10 years ago, A-B testing became one of our most important tools in order to learn from our users. And fast forward to today, we have hundreds of teams running um, many, many experiments every year. And experimentation has really been integrated into almost every part of the company. And we use these tests to validate everything from small UI tweaks to, to big investments in content and things like that. And so in August, we announced that we've taken everything we learned about experimentation and put it into confidence, which is our new externalized experimentation platform, which enables other companies to run experiments in a similar way uh, throughout their entire business and drive data-informed decisions and create better user experience for their customers. So super excited about the launch and it's it's out there now in a private beta at, at this point. It's an exciting an exciting announcement. And Mark, you were helping build Confidence. Right? Yes, yeah, I worked on the experimentation mission at the time we started out on that voyage. Uh, some of the earlier offerings before that. Confidence really kind of represents almost a decade of our learnings and shipping tests and experimenting on a mass uh, market product at scale. Awesome. And then, and then Pooja, how does, how does confidence sort of fit within your world? So I work on the product teams that consume platforms like confidence from the core infrastructure teams. Um, so not just my team, but every, every team at Spotify consumes confidence in the A-B testing features to validate a lot of the work we do and how will that unlock business value in terms of what we ship to consumers. Tell us a little more about like the reason why you decided to externalize this offering. Yeah, I mean, so so to Mark's point, we've been we've been building this essentially for the last decade, and experimentation and innovation is a key cornerstone of Spotify. And as we built up this platform and this product, these practices, we learned a lot about experimentation over the years. Uh, we now had this offering, and we figured that we should just take that to the world and, and allow other companies to shortcut that journey a little bit and you know export some of our. It's it's not only the platform. I would say it's also exporting some of the Spotify culture and ways of approaching product development. So that's sort of what went into it, and, and it's been super well-received so far and uh, lots of excitement out there. So I want to talk a little bit more about this being a decade in the making and the impact of the development of confidence on experimentation as a culture for Spotify. Because I think when a lot of folks listening in, you know, when they look at Spotify and the engineering teams and the engineering organization, like experimentation is such a key part of that. And I think a lot of folks try to emulate the different org design that enables those types of practices. So where did this come from? And what did experimentation look like 10 years ago? And, you know, what then led to something like this needing to be built internally for the teams? Yes, yeah, so I think when I joined Spotify is around like 2013, right around the time that we're going to market with the mobile free tier. So pushing really big into the mobile market. Back then, we were really focused on just making sure that we could deliver configurable experiences to users. 
Um, very manual process for deriving insights from those experiments. So we were a smaller company at that time, so we could kind of afford that level of test throughput um, and do a lot of the manual work that would be necessary to like process the data and get metrics out of that. But as you can imagine, like as the company scales, as we scale to more kinds of devices, more kinds of surfaces we're experimenting on, different kinds of units of experimentation, like artist versus user, that gets pretty unmanageable to do everything manually. So gradually over time, we tried to like platformize bits of that. But at that time, it's all really in one team in New York. So we gradually scaled out from there. Um, we're here to tell that story today. All right. All right. Pooja, from your perspective, like what did experimentation look like early on for products like without the platform? It was, uh, it was very different from today. It was a lot of what Mark is saying, right? We would identify verticals that we can think of, whether that's advertising or the recommendation engine or um, just features in the app. And the first thing that comes to mind when you think about shipping those product features is we don't know, will this work or not? Uh, so you start from a business, from an idea, convert it to what are the business goals? What does this unlock? Convert it to metrics. And then you think about validating those ideas. And how do you do that is with A-B tests. So we started with very, as Mark was saying, very initial stages. A lot of it was manual. Uh, reporting was hard. It was hard to understand what metrics we're getting, what data we're getting. But over time, that has matured. If you just look at Spotify's growth from where it started to where it is today, um, those needs evolved. And when we do it once, twice, and multiple times, they get platformized. And now those capabilities are all automated. And it's so easy today where it's ingrained in our DNA that if you want to try something new, you just go in, use the platform, use the APIs, build an experiment, run, get the test. It's super easy. I want to get like a sense of, of the scale of testing here because I think like, you know, when we talk about experimentation as like a part of Spotify's culture, like it's one thing to say it, but like also to attach sort of scale around that for people in their head to get a sense of like how massive this really looks within the company. And so like when we're talking, I, I think I was reading somewhere about like the early days of like ABBA as like kind of the origins of, of confidence. So like how many concurrent tests were going on then and how many concurrent or like tests are going on simultaneously now because of the platform of confidence? Yeah, so I think in the old AVA platform, in its earliest days, the, the main limiting factor was just like releases, client releases. So when we ship a mobile app is essentially when we could ship new tests, like a new version of the Spotify app. So that was a big limiting factor because you only do that so regularly. Um, so a lot of the effort was focused on kind of being able to configure that remotely. Um, so that th around that time, we're talking like tens up to 50 concurrent experiments and not really big requirements on things like test coordination, planning, exclusivity between tests. That all kind of came later as we spread out into more devices, you know, more platforms, each with their own interaction model, you know, which brings its own complexities. A lot of difference between, say, a game console and a cell phone. Yeah, so a lot of those kinds of needs came later, but now we're probably up to hundreds, hundreds of experiments concurrently at a time, sometimes even peaking beyond that, depending on the domain. Yeah, and I think to Mark's point, if you go back 10 years, I think since then, it's not only the scale of the user base, obviously, we've, that's gone, gone well, so we, we have a lot more people on the platform, but we also have a much bigger organization with hundreds of engineering teams that want to do things. We have a much more complex landscape of ubiquity clients. We have Spotify. TVs and cars and uh, all sorts of mobile devices and desktop and web and so on. So, so to coordinate tests across those devices, across all those users, is a pretty complex situation. So it's, it's a lot of things that has added to sort of the complexity of the problem over the years. So speaking of kind of the complexity of the problem here, I was wondering if you could maybe share a little bit of like, what are some of the challenges? So you're talking about coordination is a, is a key part of it. When you're thinking about the scale of experimentation that can be possible, what types of challenges do people typically run into in, in scaling out the types of tests and experiments that they're running? 
I think a big one for us, especially in the early phases, but continuing on even into now, is just like the durability of the experience. So making sure that whatever platform the user's on, they reliably get the test that you're intending for, such that you could trust the rest of everything down the chain. So that that's a big one. Deriving meaningful insights, collecting accurate sample sizing for a given test, making sure that it's powered, so that your insight is meaningful, that you derive from it. That can be extremely challenging, especially as you you know, support more exclusivity between experiments. You get smaller and smaller populations. Um, I think those are big ones that come to mind um, that we've kind of had to deal with over the years and, and gradually platformize solutions that allow people to automate this. So you can imagine how things that maybe were like managed via spreadsheets gradually become baked into the platform, baked in as capabilities, maybe even automated to make sure that you get the right sample uh, and target the right audience out. I think another big one is just like the unit of experimentation, like users, artists, the content catalog is enormous. You know, any kind of experimentation there can really drive complexity. Yeah, the ones that I'd add is when speaking about complexity around consumers of the platform, a lot of these experiments are happening across multiple teams for multiple business needs. So when we're thinking of, you know, the advertiser as an operator or an artist using our platform, the content recommendation, all of these together, the playlists, they have different nuances in each of the experiments they're doing. But the audience is still the same, which has increased to today. It's like 500 plus million monthly active users. So how do you identify? And those are global users around the world. How do you identify where to do which experiment on which cohort? Get that data and the feedback loop of that data rather quickly to be able to make decisions and you don't have to wait for a month or two to identify how did the experiment perform? Because usually one experiment leads to more questions and then more experiments to validate what you just found. The complexity of each experiment just grew as the scale increased and the nuances in those, the precision changed. So we, were, we went from doing simple A-B tests to complicated nested experiments, experiment within an experiment, machine learning experiments within a business landscape as well. And that is the scale, how it changed in terms of the capabilities that you need from the platform are now a lot different than what it used to be. One of the questions I want to talk about later, like, because Pooja, the types of experiments you're talking about show the power of when you have sort of this experimentation platform set up, the, the sophistication and the impact that you can get with these. So like one of these questions is when you're running all these types of experiments, like I would love to ask, like, how do you tell which is a good one, which one's not? Like, how can you tell which one's like existential to the business and makes a, a huge impact and which ones aren't? I think it's hard to say, and that's the reason why we do this, um, is you think in bets, you evaluate what are you trying to solve? What is your business need? What is the problem space? Frame the problem uh, and then frame the experiment to understand, get insights into how will we solve that problem and then see how the experiment does. Because a lot of times it's validating, uh, does this resonate with the consumer? And that we see from the insights. And sometimes it does, which is great. Sometimes it doesn't. And that is also great. Um, so it's it's hard to say to your, to answer your question, how do you know this is the experiment to do and you don't? And you take a bet, you evaluate, you define your metrics that you're tracking against, you define your definition of success, and then you see if it is resonating with in terms of data, and then you take decisions. So we talk about, you know, reversible versus irreversible decisions, one-way and two-way door decisions. Um, so a lot of that is based on these insights. When I am taking a decision that is hard to change, I want to rely more on data to make sure this is the right path to go down. But if it is a two-way decision, it's easier, it's reversible, but still you need that information. That's how we think of uh, all of these investments that we make in uh, decision-making under uncertainty with uh, data-driven facts from experiments we run. Yeah, I mean, I, I can add a little bit of context as well in terms of how we're set up and how we operate at Spotify. So we're, we're largely a very mission-oriented 
company and in terms of how we uh, set up the teams as well. Each team are part of some, some grander mission that has a part of the business that we're trying to improve. And with that comes a set of metrics. So what Pooja talks about here in terms of each of these teams are aiming to solve a particular problem or, or address an opportunity and comes with a set of metrics that they're trying to move, which tends to be a driving force behind how you hypothesize and how you set up your experiments. And then we track those and measure against those. And then there's also for experiments, we also have guardrail metrics. So metrics that you don't want to move to protect teams from accidentally maybe tanking some parts of the um, the app or some other metrics that, that you didn't intend to impact. When we were sort of talking about confidence, we were talking about that it's also in some ways exporting Spotify's culture. So I'd like to talk a little bit more about that culture. When we think about what can teams do to become better at experimentation or to build like an innovation engine, the the culture or the philosophy seems to be a big anchor piece for that. And so I was wondering if we talk about, you know, how do you build a culture of experimentation and innovation at such a large scale? And so what, is, what does that look like at Spotify from a culture perspective? Innovation is really at the core of Spotify's culture, and it has always been like that since day one. Uh, Spotify wouldn't be where it is today if uh, we hadn't innovated in so many different areas of what you see in the app. Uh, and that happens at multiple levels in the company. Uh, once again, whether that's on the product side, whether that's a new feature, whether that's fixing or improving developer productivity as a core infrastructure capability. There's innovation through and through across all of these areas organizationally. Uh, and that leads to what we're discussing is how do you innovate? How do you validate these ideas is via experimenting. So to us, uh, innovation has got us to where we are today. And it has led to some really strong results for the company and its consumers as well. Yeah, I think we can try to get into it too. It's uh, so innovation is a core value at Spotify, and we we do look for it when we bring people in. We hire for it. It's very present like that. But also in terms of how how we lead and and uh, how we behave in in the organization is really what reinforces and drives the culture. And I think there's a few things that I can think of when it comes to like really important elements or principles, if you will, of of sort of driving that culture of innovation. Um, and I think the, the first one that comes to my mind is connecting hands to heads, meaning give people an opportunity to engage in, in ideation uh, and also in ide- ideating around the problems and, and what problems we should be solving. Make sure people are involved in strategy work and, and in the full process of figuring out where we're heading. And that idea, I think, is a core underpinning. And it's like give a lot of autonomy to teams, give teams problems to solve and means to solve them. In other ways, like the, I think the anti pattern here is to have thinkers and doers, right? It's like to have people at the top uh, decide what needs to happen and then you have people on the floor who sort of execute on it. I think you need to really rethink that and figure out approaches to how, how you really get the makers also involved in the figuring out the direction and what problems to address. I think that's a big one that comes to mind. I don't know if you have other particular principles or values that you think is important here. Yeah, I, I can think of a big one here, which is safe to fail. It's it's okay to fail. For Spotify, failure is the paradox to success, where we want to try, we want to fail and try again, fail again, try again, and then you succeed. That is encouraged as a, a cultural value at the company. And we've seen that happen time and again. So it is okay to fail. Yeah, and we usually talk more about it as learnings more so than, than, than failure, but I think that's really the vein. Yeah, and I guess in the same sense, we want to, ideally maximize the throughput on those things that we see pan out or don't pan out. So kind of a fail fast or double down model. 
Um, and there's uh, all kinds of practices and, and tools that we put in place that the confidence is just one among many that, that allow us to increase that throughput. So try and get derive insights from a small experiment, validate your hypothesis quickly, uh, and then proceed and scale up from there. Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. Christian, I want to go back to what you said about involving people to solve the problem. There's oftentimes this this challenge where folks sort of in like the middle or senior part of their career reach a ceiling where the feedback can be, you know, you need to be more strategic. And the gap to go from how do you, you know, go from execution to strategy can be almost like invisible. Like it can be unclear how to get that. But this principle almost seems like it operationalizes where you're you're helping train people to both think and also how to build and that people are, are doing both. What does that look like when you get people to go from, you know, to be both thinkers and doers, the, the head in the hands or, or so to speak, what you shared? A common pattern that I've seen here is that people have an idea of a thing to do, like an increment of a product or a new product line or, or a new feature, or what have you. And it's typically presented as, as that, like, here's an idea for a thing I want to deliver on. And I think the thing you can do then to support that idea is to help this person dial it back to, okay, so how did you get to this conclusion? Why do you want to do this thing? Uh, and I mean, a very common question at Spotify would be, where, where's the data? So help dial that back to what's the starting point for this, this idea that you have? What's the data? What's your sort of beliefs around this particular thing you want to do and how that will move the bottom line or, or improve this particular part of the business? Uh, so I think that's one thing we do a lot, help put those ideas into context create like that through line of thinking from from data to insights and beliefs and, and bets. That's a framework we call dibs at Spotify that we apply a lot. Like show me that sort of through line of thinking. Also from the data, of course, like go from there and start try to like just ideate ideas together in different ways and brainstorm. And, and there's also a lot of different ways to do that. But I think a very common problem is like to, to really put ideas into context and give it the right like backing from a strategic standpoint. And I think that depending on where a hypothesis originates, it could sometimes take different forms. Like an engineer might come with something like, I really believe we could reduce the latency on this one kind of query or whatever. And if you could support that with like a product person or some product leadership, they might find a good way to map that into the business impact that might not have come from the engineer initially. So that's a big part often happens and vice versa too. Maybe, you know, a product person has a strong hypothesis about how we could reach a certain market. An engineer can help build up the context around that about make it credible and how we're going to execute on this vision, how we're going to do it in a stable, scalable way. So you can imagine how like the different roles and responsibilities kind of complement one another. And, you know, when faced with a new idea, you can, as from a leadership perspective, support support that with with a complementing role early on. Yeah. I guess also providing context is key here. Like help by connecting people, I think is a big one. Providing background of what's going on, what's important, and, and just like uh, help people find the right sort of starting point to strategize from. So I think that's another thing you can do a lot of and encourage people to go go talk to other people and go learn about what's going on in not only your immediate context, but maybe in adjacent spaces. Because in, in the seams is often where the opportunities lie. 
Yeah, Christian read my mind. I was just going to say that I think the role of a leader is to provide that strategic context to tactical execution. So it doesn't matter where the idea comes from. It's how do you connect that to the big picture? Like this is where the company is going. This is where your area is going. How does this approach yield results or what is the output of doing this? What is the outcome of doing this? So it's really connecting those dots to understand, is this something we should take a bet on? And then if the answer is yes, and then you go through the journey and see what that yields. As a leader, it's how you sponsor that work is really important. You break down the problem from the big strategic context to tactical execution. And where does this land? in terms of results. I can really see how those, those frameworks help almost shape the thought process to be able, as if, if you were maybe somebody where your area of responsibility is more primarily execution-driven, how you shape the different tactics or recommendations you give based off of that thought framework. I want to talk about the ideation around data. I was wondering if you could share like an example of like what that conversations look like. Because you know, we've got three people here who probably have that ideation conversation around data in different contexts. When you're looking at data or, or different things to research solutions and come up with ideas, like how do you typically facilitate that conversation? I think for for us, it's um, a lot of uh, what questions to ask. Uh, So we identify, are we all on the same page, whether that's product in the room, engineering, or any other discipline, insights and design? Uh, What are we trying to solve? Where is this data leading us? Oh, is this something new that we did not think of before uh, and we have uh, accidentally uh, hit upon with this information? Or this was the hunch we had and this is the direction it's going in. So an example I can give is in one of my teams, we had, uh, this is when we were a platform of a platform and we had goals, we had metrics and we had part of our team focused on delivering those. But then there was an idea from the grassroots level, hey, you know what the underlying goal is when we're sending messages, um, notifications to our users, uh, we can only reach X number of users today. What if we increase that reach and uh, ideate how we can grow and expand our uh, user base? That'll impact everything we do, every metric we run. That's fair. That's a good idea. But how are we going to do that? Uh, So the team came up with certain experiments that they will conduct across all of these on Android and iOS, etc. But as a leader, that role that we played was this is going to be a growth team. We're going to staff it with people in a time boxed manner. The staffing is also critical because the skills you need to be in a team like this, which is full of ambiguities, you don't know where you're heading, is different than the skills you need in a team where it's very clear you have a two-year roadmap you need to deliver on XYZ. So we staffed it, we gave it that space, and we time boxed it that we're going to check in um, that by six months from today to six months from today, where are we going to land with this? What are the goals we're going to try and hit? Uh, and that's one way of sponsoring where the experiments were conducted using confidence and the experimentation platform. Every month you get information and more data that you build on. You ask those questions in terms of, is this increasing our reach? How is this increasing our reach? Where are those new areas of investment that this is unlocking? Uh, and if the answer to each of those is a significant marginal increase, then yes, we should do this. And in this example, the team was called Growth and it eventually became a squad with a roadmap now and it was called Reachability where it had a charter of increasing the reach of uh, users that we're going to hit with these messages. Uh, So that is an example that if you sponsor with the right space, with the right check-ins, time boxed, it does lead to results. Uh, And then you also have failures, but that is also okay because then you learn that this is not working and this is not the direction we should go into. I love it. It's almost like this is the origin of a team. It's, It's cool to see the inception of, you know, experimentation, then and identifying the success of the experiments you're trying to identify and then how that manifests into like a full-time like enduring team. 
another current example of, so back to the question, like how do we ideate around data or how do we connect the dots here? So one one problem that we face, and I think it's common in the industry, is, is for our data scientists or data practitioners to find the right data for their needs. To empower uh, or enable that process to happen quickly, there's a lot of different ways you can do it, like in terms of how you structure the data and uh, search and browse and, and different functions to find the right data. Currently, we're, we're taking a, an approach and we're trying to leverage large language models to generate vectors from earlier uh, searches and stuff like that to power this new experience. So there's a, there's an hypothesis here somewhere that this approach is going to solve the problem more effectively than the old one. That you know, it's a, just a high-level idea. But to take that back to sort of reality and ground it in something we need to form a starting point of like, okay, so what is going on today? What do we know? Uh, how hard is it to do this today? How hard is it to find data? How, how many searches do people typically do before they find the right thing? How long does it take? How many Slack messages do they send to, to sort of ask other people for the right data and so on and so on. So we can have a lot of these data points that we know, like objectively, this is what's going on today. And then we can shape an hypothesis around this new approach and how we can move those metrics and make it to this new solution a, a lot more effective. Uh, and then we can measure it against those metrics. So that, that's an internal facing, like very current example of, of how we would approach this and uh, how we let, sort of let the idea, this is also an example when we sort of let the idea breathe a little bit. So we gave this team uh, a month or so to just explore stuff. Uh, but before, so this is similar to Pooja's story here, before we sort of really like fund it, we want to see a clear case where they can show this, how they have validated their hypotheses uh, that this approach will move, um, move the needle on these different metrics that we put forward. I think it's fair to say we spent a lot of time before starting the experiment in defining what the experiment should be. So what are we going to do? What are we not going to do? So we have holdback groups that will not see this. So what is the impact of that and the guardrail metrics that Christian mentioned earlier as well? So if there's some team that is focused on unlocking monthly active users, there's another team that's focused on revenue or there's another team for user satisfaction. How do we make sure each of these experiments that are linked to each other are defined in the right way before we even begin? I have a follow-up question about the defining the experiments part because I, I feel like there's a lot of traps here that you can run into, especially if you think about scaling up the amount of experimentation that you're doing. There may be some some hidden things that people do by mistake. And, you know, for folks listening, we're kind of phasing back and forth between culture and how this sort of manifests within process and operations. So I think this maybe is part of both. But yeah, I guess we'd love to know, like, in that defining the experiment conversation, like, are there are there certain things that people run into that are, like, don'ts? Are there roadblocks or common challenges for somebody maybe who is scaling up the amount of experiments that they're doing or trying to include more of a rigorous experimentation as part of their culture? What goes wrong here that people should avoid? Potentially over-optimizing for a local maxima happens a lot as you, know, you broaden out the number of things that you can measure. It's great to have added flexibility there, uh, but you can say over-optimize for something like playlist consumption at the cost of discovery consumption or things like uh, examples like that. For those, we try and always, as Christian was saying, like back it with the right context, um, map back like the sanity checks that we need to have in place, the guardrail metrics that we want to be measuring to make sure we're actually optimizing for the sort of greater good, so to speak. But that's one that immediately comes to mind. 
we always want to have maximum experiment throughput. I try and do as much as we can, but the challenges of sample sizing is another one here. So depending on how much you're shipping at once, you might be cutting into a sample that could be used for other users. That's always a problem with new users, especially in most like end user facing products. We want to make sure that like the onboarding experience is really good, but there's a limited population of people who are coming in as new users at any given time. Maybe wasting that precious resource can sometimes be an issue you run into early. Wrong targeting, setting the wrong target for the different kinds of metrics that you might measure. But yeah, those are two that come to mind. Yeah, as a consumer, the example I can think of is today when we do experiments, each of those vertical teams, um, they're not operating in silos. So we do sync with each other. What experiments are you conducting that are ongoing and running? How would that impact something that we're looking into and how we make sure that we don't run the same thing or we don't run something that might conflict into what you're running? There are ways and processes in which the vertical teams that are using the experimentation platforms are also aware what the other teams are doing and how they impact each other. This is something that we've we've really tried to deliberately build into confidence. You can imagine like managing that at scale in the old days is totally unmanageable over time. Yeah, that's so it's like building in there's there's features like surfaces and domains, coordination spaces. It's like well built into the platform now to kind of help us not only coordinate the shipping of the experiments to the end user, like what actually happens, but also bring visibility for people who are the experimenters to see what's happening. Like what's what's the environment in which I'm operating at any given time? Am I running something that might compete with something else? and trying to make that more self-describing and more observable. I think that's a really important goal that emerged through the work on the new experimentation platform that became Confidence. Content tests happening at the same time as ML tests, at the same time as like more straightforward, like user experience optimizations, like where we lay stuff out in the app or whatever. That's a really complex space to track. So we really try to be very deliberate about that. I think there are also platform of platform teams in the middle that sit on top of the core platforms, but below the topmost level of the vertical teams. Those teams have visibility across all these vertical product teams, which is why they're a platform. So they have visibility of data that is being used for an artist product or a podcast creator product or an audiobooks or an advertiser. And that's how these vertical teams um, work with these platform of platform teams to understand how do we conduct these experiments and use this data to create features uh, that are not in conflict with each other, do not cannibalize each other, but also help each other to grow the overall Spotify business. Mark Pooja, you're, you're talking about all of these things going on simultaneously. Like the immediate thing that I start to think about is like when you have hundreds to thousands of experiments running simultaneously and you're trying to get visibility and all of them going on. How the heck do you prioritize who gets right away with their experiment when there's a conflict? Like, you know, when you're at that scale and you have all these different teams and layers, like how do you reason through that? Like, does the ML team get the right away? Like, does the UI or UX like customer facing experience get it? Like, how do you figure that all out? I think there's some good heuristics. So as Pooja mentioned with like reversible versus irreversible decisions, there's a certain amount of stuff that we can be less rigorous on because the, the risk involved maybe is less. So those are kinds of experience that maybe we don't need to coordinate or we don't need to run exclusively. A lot of the visibility of what's running at any given time is really about maximizing that throughput, right? Like making sure that everybody can be confident when they ship. Prioritizing the work, we try and have less checks or turnstiles you have to go through in the phases where you're shipping the experiment and just try and make sure that people can be as productive as possible while they're building out that initial experience, right? Because ideally, we want folks who are working on UX or ML models to focus on that capability. And then when it comes time, we have a ready queue that they can jump into and they can get scheduled, you know, for their experiment with the right population that'll yield a statistically significant result if there is one to be had. I think that's a big part. So we try and play less like a gatekeeping who ships when and more like making sure that once it goes into the queue, it's sufficiently supported in terms of like the population you'll get. 
Yeah, there's probably something here to be said also about general strategy at the higher level of the company also and, and how we decide what are the big problems that we're sort of tackling in parallel and avoid too much parallelization, um, which we're doing a pretty good job at now. Like we have a direction on, on you know, the sort of broad strokes, what's really important at any given time. And, and uh, from there, we can create the right level of focus across the org. So that in combination with, um, I mean, what, what Mark and Pooja has been talking about here in terms of a lot of this is how we coordinate the experiments themselves and make sure that we have the right capabilities to segment users and target them and uh, make sure that we avoid creating a really messy user experience at the end of the day. So, so I think that's largely the capabilities that the platform is providing. So I think it's a little bit of both because, I mean, focus experimentation platform aside, I think is helpful. For the individual teams that you're supporting, maybe, how do you prioritize those experiments? Like, is it anchoring them to the key strategy and problem areas for the, the company? And like, you're helping triage and prioritize that within your teams? Or like, I'm because I'm imagining you probably have a huge roadmap of experiments you want to run or test, like within like the different product areas that you're overseeing. Um, so like, how do you navigate those, like where you could possibly be doing 100 experiments simultaneously? Like, uh, what does that prioritization process look like within your teams or areas? I think a lot of it comes down to the basics of decision-making is trade-offs is uh, you can't have it all. Understand the pros and cons of each. How big are the cons? What are the mitigation for those cons? And then you make a trade-off decision. And going back to is that a reversible or an irreversible decision? And then uh, use that in terms of the larger context of where is Spotify going? I love it. It doesn't have to be hard. I think that's, <laughs> it's, that's always... It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good problem to have. <laughs> So uh, going back to culture and, you know, thinking about this idea of, of experimentation and innovation and getting more of that into your teams. So one of the things I want to talk about is the ideas. In all of this, like, it sounds like you are harnessing so many ideas from all different sources from the company and then operationalizing them into experiments, which then can turn into certain features or other sort of external facing impact. So where do ideas come from? How do you capture those ideas? And then how do you actually turn those into actual features? Like, how do you get that to the end delivery point there? What's the, the whole process there? I think uh, a lot of the ideas come from several different areas. We do hack weeks like most tech companies do. That is Spotify-wide hack weeks. Then there are hack days that are local to each team. But it doesn't end there. You don't just choose a winner for a hack project and uh, you're done. It goes beyond that. From the projects that came up, can you as a leader identify, again, once again, the things we've been discussing, like, does this solve a problem? Do we need to sponsor this project? Do we need to create a team around it? Do we need to time box it? So it starts from like two different ways. Either there's a very clear problem you need to solve. There's an idea that matches that. Great. Or it's grassroots. We never thought of this and we should explore this and invest in this and see what it unlocks. Yeah, I think this the story of how confidence came about is, is one example of a place where we had kind of a grassroots group of people who kind of wanted to solve some of the problems that were frustrating our experimentation efforts at the time across a few different dimensions, like the metrics generation, the feature flagging portion, the test planning portion. Um, and I think some of the things that come up there, and it's like a pattern that repeats that we see these small group of people have an idea, they want to incubate it, and you want to put the right constraints on it at the right time instead of too many constraints up front. So there is a little bit of an element of like kind of get out of the way in the early phases and just let the idea percolate a little, um, but then support it and put the right constraints on it in terms of what we want to actually measure for success as it matures and proves out like the core hypothesis. So I think that's, again, just kind of the same fail fast, safe to fail culture and, and action there. 
I think what we're talking about here is both like, so where do ideas come from? One, we also have like, like many, many other companies have these days, like unstructured time where we just allow people to explore and ideate. And so uh, hack weeks, hack days, and that happens in, in, in different shapes and forms at different levels. And then we talked a lot about also the idea of how we sort of try to capture ideas and translate them into strategies and so that they can inform the sort of big picture path forward. I think what Mark is talking about here is 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 really interesting too in that when things start happening, like somebody is exploring some idea, these things happen all the time. And I think the response that you give as a leader in, in those moments are really like defining moments of, of the culture uh, that you're creating. And I think just going back earlier in my career as as a engineering manager, I think I was a lot more mindful of people sticking to the backlog and, and conforming to the rules and like we're doing scrum here or whatever like we should all be in stand up i'm not saying that that's unimportant uh, it, it is part of that is of course uh, necessary in order to like get things done that you plan to do and so on but these people that that like bend the rules and and maybe go out there and and do other things when that happens i think you need to be curious about that and uh go look and see what is actually going on here because a lot of the time those people see the real opportunities and they're sort of fighting gravity a little bit by uh you know departing from from the rules if you will and if you punish that uh as a leader then yeah you you know you, you maybe you'll get them to stop doing whatever they're doing maybe they'll you know they'll probably leave your team eventually or they'll stick around and just stick to the plan but then you missed that opportunity so reinforcing that understand what's going on and then gradually like support it i think is super important and there's this great book called six simple rules about managing complexity and one of the rules from there is this idea of reinforcing integrators as they call it and i think it's really what we're talking about here these people that are acting in the seams and they're finding opportunities that strikes up a collaboration that leads to Mark flying over from the U.S. to Stockholm to hack on what becomes the experimentation platform. Let those things happen because a lot of innovation at Spotify has come from that. And it's, again, this idea of hands to heads and don't get in the way. Just give a little bit of breathing space and let these ideas bloom. And then you'll, through that, like, get a lot of innovation. People are by nature motivated and smart and like we bring them in. So just give them the space and they'll figure stuff out for you. Christian, you mentioned breathing space a couple times. Could you help us understand, like, what does that look like within your team? Like, is that like a workload capacity? Like, you're creating a little bit of space so they can go out and test. Like, what is what does the space look like? Yeah, I mean, I think you can you can really put structure to it through again, like hack days and such. I think those types of programs or or constructs can feel a little clunky sometimes, and and it's like this very week you need to think about novel ideas. Whereas in reality, you want that to happen all the time, right? You want people to ideate and innovate every day. So I, I think the answer is probably not so much about like a structure or a particular process, but it's more a behavior. And how do I coach managers to work with their teams? And when I see something like this happen, how do I respond in that very moment when somebody has this idea or says that they're working on something on the side and the, the culture is defined by the behaviors in those moments, I think. So I, I don't know if either of you have any more like structured ideas about it, but for me, it's really that. It's how you act in, in each of those moments. I'd, I'd agree, completely agree with uh, what Christian is just saying. I think it's uh, the example I gave earlier, giving that space to the team and as a leader, really supporting that idea 
It's like, you know, you seek to understand before to be understood. So really understand what are they trying to say in uh, a sieve that can solve a problem. And obviously, practicality, time box it, as I keep saying over and over. This cannot go on forever, but that's how you support teams. A lot of time, it's also thinking in bets, uh, which is actually a book where it talks about how there are certain scenarios in life that are like chess. They're more strategic. You almost have a path that you can uh, think of whether towards winning or not. Uh, But then there are certain scenarios like poker, which is a little bit of luck mixed with skill. uh, And both are needed in real life scenarios, uh, even in product cases. So it's really understanding. You need to make a bet sometimes. And how do you make that decision? Um, How do you make that bet to jump on this and try it out? I think another one that comes up here a lot, pattern that I see repeating is like making sure the right lines of communication are set up. And so very often we'll have like people who are super passionate about solving a problem and then working an internal infrastructure, we have user teams, internal user teams, like maybe some of Pooja's teams who are super passionate about seeing that problem get solved and putting those folks together and being really intentional about them getting time to actually work in a hands-on way together is something that can really, really help. Um, Certainly we've seen that work with experimentation. We've seen that work with a lot of other domains as well. And it bears mention too, that in in an era now where we have many, many people working remotely, you have to be even more intentional about setting up that time, giving it some unstructured time to work together and just hack out ideas. So I think that's a big one and being intentional about it. It helps a lot. When, when I thought more about like structured ways of doing it, and I already talked earlier about giving people the opportunity to engage not only in execution, but in strategy and like uh, figuring out what problems to solve and, and that side of it. And I think there, there's some definitely some more structured things to do that I like to do and, and we tend to do. Uh, so for instance, as we're teeing up our product strategies or plans for the upcoming cycles, whatever um, horizon we're planning for maybe a quarter or sometimes six months, in those moments, I like to give people a bit of a structure opportunity to come and pitch their thinking and ideas. Um, so we're doing actually in two weeks in my part of the org, we're planning out for the next few months and or six months we're doing right now. Leading up to that, we sent out an ask to the broader organization to pitch ideas for it. We all already have thoughts and we have a rough idea of the problem space and, and where we want to go, of course. But we also want to give everybody in this part of the org the opportunity to challenge that direction, to pitch their ideas, to, to bring new opportunities. Uh, we've done this a few times. There's always something that comes up that we hadn't thought about and uh, some new, new ways of looking at a problem or a new problem that we haven't looked at at all that we should be looking at. And so in, in this instance, the process is basically that we give people a sponsor to help them craft their thinking in, in a way that I that we talked about before with, you know, what's the data, what's the insights, and how do you sort of, how did you get to this conclusion? So there's uh, maybe like some, something like a product manager or, or somebody who has more experience in sort of crafting a pitch like that, that helps this individual uh, or set of individuals. There's often a few that maybe have thought about something together to come pitch something. And, and that can help inform bigger thinking and bigger shifts in, in strategy. And same thing actually at the really big picture company level, uh, we have this, uh, and we had it for a long time, this idea of company level bets, where we also pick a selection of those, which really steers the big, big direction of Spotify. And those also anybody can pitch by getting a a sponsor for it and shape it and and get it into that process. So there's different ways of doing that. So I think maybe a combination of these things and what we talked about before is like some of how, how we bring some of these ideas up. All of the different opportunities there are, are so fun. And then thinking about like the, those are like the inroads to help really maximize the idea generation. 
the coaching, the mentor coming in to help out with pitches for new ideas, I thought is is really interesting. And that reminds me of, of one other thing. The broad question is like, how do you coach and guide your team to quote unquote, learn how to learn better? How do you coach your team to adopt this experimentation platform and to embody some of these practices of good experimentation so that it can then impact innovation? Like, what is what, what does some of that coaching look like when folks are using this for the first time or scaling out their experiments? I, I can give a platform perspective on this one and how we approach it in, in terms of onboarding teams to this platform, because that's something that we do internally, um, whether it's a new team that was formed or, or we've brought some new people on or whatever, like we go out and work with a lot of customer teams, meaning internal teams at Spotify. So we have an engagement team uh, working in, in, in my organization that their mission is to go out there and help drive the practice of experimentation at Spotify and testing and helping teams onboard to the platform and learn how the platform works, but also to help them onboard onto the general practices of experimentation. Another huge side benefit of this is that we learn a lot, uh, of course, uh, which we also do in other ways, but this team learns a lot about what's going on in the org and they bring a lot of uh, needs, unmet needs and so on and improvements back to the platform, which uh, helps drive the next increment of that. And so, so this team also actually builds some some libraries and adds some stuff themselves, but bring a lot of, of feedback back to the broader experimentation team. A lot of the coaching is what Christian is saying. Our teams talk, Christian and I meet, and then we discuss and he asks, hey, what feedback do you have? And I discuss with my teams and come up with, this is great, this is not great. We need to improve these capabilities. So there's a lot of, uh, we call them CABs, customer advisory boards, where the platform teams that own confidence will work with not just one, but several stakeholders. And in each of those sessions, it's a two-way conversation where they ask for feedback. We ask for ways to more smartly use the platform. And those conversations between the platform teams and the consumer of the platform teams, I think, enable a lot of what you're asking. On top of all this, a lot of what we're talking about here when it comes to innovation and experimentation is also something that we see as, as a core part of the product management practice and, and data science, of course. So more or less all teams have product management has or has access to data scientists that can help sort of inform the practice where they are. So it's not like a centralized approach at all. It's, it is a decentralized approach, but we have this central team that I refer to that supports these teams out there. It's, it's really fundamental for the way we work that this is happening out in the team. So in Puja's team, they solve this locally, but there's support from, from a central place as needed. I think at this point, it's just so natural. It's so ingrained that when you come up with an idea, the first step is to, yeah, we need to do an experiment to learn more about this. Like that's just the very obvious next step. We will identify, okay, what do we need to do to validate this idea? We need to conduct experiments. One, two, three, four. This is what they're going to try and do. Are there other teams doing this or not doing this? Is this capability available from the platform team or not? If it isn't, can we work with them to see if the capability can be added? If it is just reuse. But those are such natural organic steps at this moment, which took practice. This wasn't the case before. But we've done this so many times at this point that even if a new product person will join the team, uh, that is what they'll be coached on. When you think of something, think of the idea, think of the purpose it solves, think of the metric you will use to measure success, do those experiments and then learn from it. You know, we're thinking about some of these experiments and I guess I'm phrasing as like the extensibility of an idea. So how do you know when you need to platformize something? When you're trying something new from scratch, nobody has done it. Um, nobody wants to reuse it. This is where you try to solve for it locally. You prove that it's working. You prove it has delivered certain outcomes. And then you expand to see, can it do more? 
And if the answer is yes, then you start thinking of uh, how can I reuse this capability over and over so that it becomes a gift that keeps on giving. And that's how you know this needs to be platformized. But it doesn't end there. So if you go from zero to one um, when it's not platformized, and now you know this is a nice use case to platformize this capability across the company, but then the one to end cases, they also need zero to one in them. So what I'm trying to say is if we own a very mature Vizic business, Within that, we want to try a new capability for the user that's still zero to one. Then you see, can this be used across a podcast vertical as well? Can this be used across an audiobooks vertical as well? In most cases, the answer is yes. That's when you know, instead of building this three times at double the cost or triple the cost, uh, we do this once and then reuse this three times. And that's cost efficiency, whether that's developer efficiency, throughput efficiency, all of that. And that's how platforms then are created. Now, once a platform is created, that means now I can do even more. Why don't I think about the fourth vertical? Because this capability exists. So that's the flywheel effect that uh, you start something that becomes a reusable capability. And now because it's reusable, you start something new again. And we see this happening out in the org in different places at Spotify. So in Pooja's team, for instance, and and then we have the the, the platform mission, as we call it. So that's a, that's a big team at Spotify that runs a large part of these types of products for the org in order to speed up product development, to reduce our operational complexity and things like that. A question in, in the case of what Pooja just talked about, when do you decide to make that into a fully generalized capability and bring it home to platform? And that's a very common conversation we have. And, and a team out there might have this capability that's perceived to be generalizable, or maybe it's not like really in the critical path in terms of their product line. It's more like this platform capability that, that would, they would prefer to not think about. And we have a lot of these conversations and our customers from the platform mission side ask us to take something over, uh, which is always an interesting conversation, one that sometimes comes with some friction and, and, and debate back and forth. I think the, the basic principle for me here is we want to enable speed. Um, we want each team at Spotify to be able to move as quickly as possible. Um, and of course, we don't, we don't want to duplicate efforts across the board. So. When we have a platform type of capability out in a part of the org uh, and we have this particular discussion, if it is a generalizable capability and it's, it's a need that multiple teams out in the org have, that's typically a good trigger. Take it and, and make it into a full scale like platform capability, such as the experimentation platform that we talked a lot about. It would make no sense for every team at Spotify to build their own experimentation platform. Had we only had one, it probably would have made more sense for them to also build the experimentation platform. But we have hundreds and hundreds of teams doing experimentation. So then we provide that capability. And we talk about platform of platforms. So we like layer platforms on top of other platforms. And, and uh, those typically sits uh, or might sit in different parts of the org as well. So when Puja's team builds a platform, they typically build it on top of the platform from the platform team. <laughs> This might get confusing. <laughs> platform transcendence. No, I see. It's like the interoperability and like uh, it gives like foundational, like foundational components of larger capabilities. I think the analogy I've used here in the past is like emergent evolution. You know, there's a point at which there's a critical mass of a need that you sort of need to make it generalizable deliberately from the outset. So we see that a lot where there's like test coordination. Maybe there were four or five teams doing relatively bespoke but manually coordinated ways of doing that, but the common thread through all of them is the problem case. So that calls for a team somewhere in platform to kind of make that generalizable from 
from the outset and offer it as just sort of an inherent property of how we do experiments and how we ship it. And then ideally, you get knock-on benefits from that, like the flywheel, like we were saying, like the observability and being able to understand what's running at any one given time. The benefits of centralizing that before that emergent evolution point are less so. After it, they're 10x. So that's really the thing we try to look out for. Yeah. And I think there's, there is an interesting question here. If you, if you look at the growth journey of, of, of an organization and at what point uh, does it make sense to start establishing such teams, like a team whose sole customer are other teams in the business. And I think there's certainly some pitfalls here. And if you do that too soon or if you don't do it well, then you might have a platform team that actually pretty quickly becomes obsolete, I would say. I, I was a product leader at Spotify once said that platform is what's behind when the train leaves the station. Uh, I had to sort of think about that for a while, but I think what he meant was that if you build a platform based on the needs you have, the train takes off, then you need to get on the train and, and make sure that you follow along on the journey. If you keep like iterating on the problems you thought the customers had, then you're quickly going to get obsolete. So there's a lot to be said about how to approach that then. How do you stay in touch with the needs of the organization? How do you make sure that you have a very close like feedback loop with your internal users? And so we touched on the engagement team. That's just one out of many mechanisms by which we make sure that we iterate and, and stay up to date and make sure that the, the offering that we have there is in line with the needs of the business. But it's a hard problem because it's also a very, very broad organization with very different needs. So we, we get a lot of feedback too, teams that feel that we should, you know, focus in on their particular problem, whereas we're looking at that and then we look at everything else going on and see that there is actually a much bigger opportunity if we lean on somewhere else, but I might not satisfy that particular team. So it's, you know, we need to also do some PR and, and explain what, what we're doing. And Totally. Well, it almost makes me think of like, you know, uh, early to mid-stage startup working with more like enterprise customers and there's like certain enterprise customer use cases maybe that you have to prioritize and like the communication of why you're maybe prioritizing a different feature set versus others like yeah. is a key part exactly. of that relationship. Yeah. We came together today to talk about cultures of experimentation and innovation and what that looks like at large scale. Um, are there any final thoughts or insights you'd want to share with folks listening in? The underpinning of, of this whole conversation for me is really a culture of innovation. And a, a lot of that is is really about not getting in the way of good ideas and give ideas a little bit of structure, just enough structure, minimum viable structure to, to succeed. Think about not only what the values are on your wall, but what does those actually look like day to day and, and what's the behavior there? So uh, I think that's a big part of this. And then make sure that you have the right tools to then enable that culture of innovation. So a good experimentation platform is one part of that. Platform, the right culture and, and approaches to thinking in bets that we talked about and quickly come up with hypotheses and validate those. I think those are some big underpinnings and things that are are easy to say but very very hard to do yeah i'd agree thinking out of outside the box is critical for growth you can't grow without learning and you can't learn without feeling do your experiments and go innovate is is critical uh, you know innovation leads to uh, insights insights leads to decisions and decisions leads to opportunities I think a big one for me, I just doubled down on the mentions of coaching and mentorship and how leaders behave in the moments where those new ideas are surfacing. I mean, as an engineer, I feel like I've been a big beneficiary of some great coaches on that and making sure that even in an org like Spotify, that's like very open and communicative, it is still hard to pitch ideas, right? Like it's intimidating a bit to maybe do one of these in 
objective pitches and talk to many different teams and build consensus around something. So I think more we can do to support people in those moments where it comes up as leaders. You know, you might find a diamond in the rough there and putting the right constraints on it at the right time comes later. But in that critical moment where somebody's kind of incubating something new, that's really a moment to kind of support them. So I think that's my big takeaway. I love the idea of the constraints can come later in, in letting the ideas have space. Okay, awesome. So one of the things that we do to, to wrap up our conversation is just a couple couple rapid fires to, to close us off. Are you all ready for rapid fire questions? We, Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, yeah. perfect. Okay, question number one, what are you reading or listening to right now? Oh, I'm going to be really boring. I'm reading a book about Rust. I'm trying to learn how to write Rust. It's a cool language. It's very challenging. I, the last time I had my mind bent like this was learning Scala. I'm reading uh, Becoming by Michelle Obama. I just started it, so I'm not, I'm less than halfway through it, but it's her journey from since she was a child to presidency and later. I listened to a podcast called Unsolicited Feedback by the, the guys behind Reforge. They dig into new business ideas and what's going on out there and, and probe really deeply into it. I find it very interesting, that one. And maybe Lenny's podcast is another one that I really like. They just launched that that podcast, right? Like that happened a it's couple weeks ago. It's very new, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, they they do some great stuff. All right, what's a tool or methodology that's had a big impact on you? I'd go back to the Eisenhower matrix. Categorize your priorities in urgent and important uh, importance. Uh, it's a very simple but yet extremely effective way of organizing your time. I think this is less of a tool, more of a leadership principle, but really long-term thinking is what's needed as a leader. You know, our struggles are all short-term lessons to achieve long-term success. I think the five whys, I can't remember who came up with it, but it's, it's a good one for kind of drilling down to root causes of things and getting people to kind of think about the commonalities underneath the cause. This is a real treat because normally this is just one person giving rapid fire answers. So like this is a like 3x value rapid fire. So this could be this could be interesting. This could be a, d- a deep rabbit hole that may, um, we'll see how you, you three feel here. Uh, a trend you're seeing or following that's been interesting or hasn't hit the mainstream yet. I am an aerospace junkie. I read a lot about aviation and I am um, very passionate about supersonic travel. And I'm wondering when will that happen in reality, when it'll be cost efficient, fuel efficient and all of that. The last time was the Concorde, which uh, was too expensive. But when will we be able to travel from one part of the world to the other in half the time? It's not mainstream yet. I don't know if it'll ever be, but I hope it would be. Well, you said you said interesting or or not hit the mainstream. So I'll, I'll go with interesting, but definitely following along. And, and we're trying out a lot of stuff around the generative AI hype. There's a lot of lots and lots going on there. Um, what's particularly interesting, I mean, there's a lot to be said about how it can augment a lot of the work we do as engineers and in product development and that. I think that's very, very promising. I'm quite interested in seeing how this will impact society at large. And I think there's some like pretty compelling use cases around areas where people never thought these technologies would exist. So like therapy or, or you know, things where, where human emotions are really important to understand and interpret. And turns out these models are surprisingly sophisticated when it comes to that. And I think it's going to be a very exciting trend to follow. And I think it'll change a lot of things in a very positive way. I think emerging trends of minimalism and developer tools is something I'm paying attention to. More and more stuff on command line, more and more simplistic interfaces. I'm kind of trying to think about how we might restructure some of our Spotify tools in, in that way, or internal tools for developer. I'm not sure how much potential has to go mainstream, though. <laughs> so we'll see. I don't know. Yeah, this is an engineering leaders podcast. So, yeah. you know, if you're talking, if Maybe you're talking this is minimalism, point. this is the place for that. So that, that's mainstream for our audience, for sure. Cool. Last question to, to wrap us up. 
Is there a quote or a mantra that you live by or a quote that's been resonating with you right now? A, a mantra, a quote I live by. So this is an old one, big fan of Stephen Covey. Uh, and this is probably my most common quote. I use it all the time. Uh, it's first seek to understand, then to be understood. It's like the bottom line for effective human communication. And, and I use it a lot in, in, in coaching teams. If you just start by understanding the other person's perspective and really seek to understand it, you're going to unlock the whole conversation. It has resolved so many conflicts. I think for me, it's the old one from Albert Einstein, but you know, everybody is a genius. If you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its life thinking it's stupid. So it's really about believe in yourself, uh, be self-aware of what, what you can do, what you can do, and you can uh, go places. Just one top of mind for me, since it came up and when we were discussing the themes for this discussion, uh, is from Frank Zappa, uh, without deviation from the norm, progress is not possible. I think that sort of wraps up all the themes we've been discussing here today. You know, when that deviation happens, give it just enough, a little bit of room and something beautiful can happen. So, yeah. Three incredible quotes to really capture the power of cultivating ideas and different approaches to do that. Mark, Pooja, Christian, thank you three so much for an incredible conversation and helping folks navigate the wide world of experimentation and innovation. And I really think folks will be able to apply a lot of what we talked about here into their teams, companies, orgs, uh, all of the like. Thank you three for making this all possible. This is a dream come true, both in terms of what we talked about, but also the, the space we got to hang out with. What a treasure. Thanks for inviting me into your home. This is awesome. You're one among legends now. Thanks for having us. Thanks <laughs> thank a lot. You. Thank, thank you. you. It's an honor. Thank yeah. you. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're listening on Spotify. And if you love the show, we also have a ton of other ways to stay involved with the engineering leadership community. To stay up to date and learn more about all of our upcoming events, our peer groups, and other programs that are going on, head to sfelc.com. That's sfelc.com. See you next time on the Engineering Leadership Podcast.